Today we celebrate the day that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was crucified on a Roman cross for the sin of the world. It's been a celebration that we've had for over 2,000 years. It was a, a marked moment in history that was pointed and prophesied for uh, centuries before by God's prophets about the details of exactly what would happen on this awful yet amazing Friday in history. And if we want to understand the real significance of what the day was, that he came to, he died to pay for the sin of our world, then you can't understand the power of the cross without really understanding the power of sin. So I want to just take a few minutes, because sin's not something we hear a lot on the Channel 9 News. Uh, we see it on Current Affair, but we don't hear a lot about it on the news. No, we don't watch anyway, just move along. And so sometimes we need to understand about the bad news before we can really get the good news. And now maybe you've been in church and sin's been weaponized against you, where sin's been uh, beaten over, it's been used to beat you over the head in a religious environment to make you feel bad or to control you or to might try and make you conform externally. And if that's happened to you, I want to say sorry, that's not God's heart. God's heart is not to weaponize sin against you. He's actually come to pour His love into your life. And Christ dying on the cross is the demonstration of how God thinks and feels about you. Romans chapter 3, verse 9 is the text I want to use this morning. And it's Paul writing to the, to the church in Rome, in Rome saying, What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. He's talking about the Jews. For we have already made the charge that the Jews and Gentiles, so everybody on the planet alike, are all under the power of sin, are all under the power of sin. And I want to explain a few things about sin this morning that maybe you haven't heard that might help you understand a little bit about yourself or about the world we live in, the way we're wired. The first thing I want you to know is that sin is a powerful force. Many of us have the idea that sin is like a list of to-dos to and don'ts. And it's like, you know, so sin's. But I want you to know before we talk about sins, that sin itself is a powerful force. Uh, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, it gives us this understanding that, that sin itself is like a, it's like a power. It's, like a, it's almost like this person. Uh, this is what talking to Cain and Abel. If you do what is right, you'll be accepted. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Sin desires to rule and control your life. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 22, it says this, Scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. We're controlled by sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Here's the, here's the thing about sin. It's, it's not just a list of do's and don'ts. It's a nature that you and I are born with. It's, it's, if you, I don't know how many of you ever taught your kids, if you're here, or your parents taught you to drive the car, how many, how many braved that experience of teaching your daughter, or, or how many parents taught you how to drive? Give me a wave. Who had a stress head as a parent who freaked out all the time? I, I'm not looking at my kids right now. All right. But there's, there's this, there, there is a, uh, if you go with a driving instructor, they've got these ability or these facilities to actually have controls on the left-hand side. So a brake, an accelerator, and, and like, you know, now I didn't have this when I taught our kids to drive. I would have loved it. It would have been fun. I did on a number of occasions reach over and pull the handbrake to stop us crashing into something. 
In fact, I remember a moment when my two boys were very, very little. They were maybe uh, two and four, and we were having friends at, some, at a house of some friends, uh, having a, a coffee, and we're up uh, high. It's like three, two and a half levels high, and the boys are playing in the car, and then I look on, in horror. It was on a slope. It starts backing down the hill. So just like Superman in slow motion, I dived over the balcony, ran through, and pulled the handbrake. So I, I was in control even though they were there. And that's what sin is like. Sin's like this thing that crouches at the door, gets into your life, and sits on this side of your world, controlling your behavior, and you've got no power to over sin without Jesus. In fact, it, sometimes it feels like sin's got, got a warp on the inside, a bent, like a car. Have you ever had a car that's not aligned, not wheel aligned? It just pulls to the side. It's just, that's, it's bent. And that's the bent that human beings are born with. This, this bent towards, away from God and towards doing things that we want to do. Towards doing things that are selfish, that are, that are destructive, that are harmful, that are harmful to God. And the, the, the thing about sin is it's destructive. It masquerades as fun. It dresses up as fun. It dresses up as, oh, come and do this. It's, you're free if you do this. And you'll have the most fun in the world. It'll be magnificent. It pretends that this is what independence looks like. Do whatever you want. It'll feel good. You'll be right. But here's the problem with sin. It is fun for a season. Uh, a pastor I know, Craig Grishel, makes this statement. He said, I, I remember when I was sinning and doing such a good job, but it, it was fun. And if you think sin's not fun, you're not doing it right. He said it was fun until it wasn't. And this is the thing about sin. It sucks you in. It dresses up as awesome, but eventually it, it entraps you. It, it becomes a noose around your neck. It becomes a, a soul-destroying disease that gets on the inside of you to eat you away. It starts out like it's awesome, but it entraps us, controls us, and destroys us. It destroys families. It destroys lives. That's the power of sin. It is, and that's the first thing I want you to know, a powerful force. The second thing I want you to know is all are sinners and under sin's power. We're going to get to the good news eventually, but we've got to know the bad news before we know the good news. All right. All are sinners and are under sin's power. That's what that verse said. Like, are all under the power of sin. Now, I don't know about your family. Maybe you've got a, a black sheep in your family. You know, the, the, good, the three good ones and the bad one. Okay, don't, don't put your hand up. Don't, don't say that. <laughs> but, and sometimes we think a little bit like this. It's like, oh, no, no. Uh, you know, oh, well, you know, four kids. And so Harry, well, he got, he got the music gene. And then Benny, he got the, the sporting gene. And then Billy, he got the academic gene, but poor Johnny, he got the sin gene. Oh my gosh. That's not how it works. Every single person got the sin gene. It's a genetic disorder of, the, of humanity, of humankind. It's passed down from generation to generation. We know this because the Bible tells us Adam was made in the image of God, and he was perfect, he was given a choice, and God said, don't do these things. There's only a few you can't do. The rest you can do. Have at it. I'll be in a perfect relationship with you. If you do those things, you'll die, and you'll be cut off from me. And Adam made this choice, and he turned, and he, and he, he, he ate the fruit. And, and, of course, then he blamed his wife. Classic, classic deal for all of us. 
not just your wife, don't look at me like it's just the fellas, blamed somebody else. It's like, oh, this woman that you gave me caused me to eat the fruit. And then he blamed God. This, this woman that you gave me caused me to do the wrong thing. That's what sin does. It becomes this whole blame game and not taking ownership. Oh, it's my parents. Oh, it's the government. Oh, it's the school. Oh, it's my workplace. Oh, it's, oh, it's my wife. Oh, it's my husband. Oh, it's whatever. That's what sin, this powerful force, it stops us taking ownership that, no, it's me. I was born with this genetic disorder that pulls away from righteousness. It pulls away from the way God wants you and I to live. And this is what the Bible says. Adam, once he fell, he was cut off from God spiritually. And then after that, although we were made in Adam's image, so from there on, it's like if I got a piece of paper and spilt coffee on it and then, and then photocopied it, what you would get would be a flawed copy. It was, all, it was perfect before I spilled the coffee, but when I spilled the coffee, now it's flawed. Adam was perfect, then he was cut off from God, spiritually died, and from that moment, we've been a copy of the, of the original sinner, Adam. Every human being, that's our nature, all of sin. You can see it in little kids. You can see it. The Bible says, Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You can see it. You can, you can see it in your two-year-old. Come on, you can see it where they're like, no. I want. You can see it when, in yourself when you tell your first lie. I remember Danielle telling me about her first lie she ever told. Um, uh, would you like to hear it? I feel like you would. I feel like you would. It's like her parents asked her, have you brushed your teeth? Simple little thing. She can remember it. Have you brushed your teeth? She hadn't brushed her teeth, but she said yes. They said, fine, go to bed. She's like, how easy is this? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Now, don't look at me like you've never done something like that because you have the, gene the genetic disorder of sin. This bent towards self and isolation and independence. We could tell it when our, when our uh, I think he would have been about five years old, our oldest son went to, went to the fence down the side of the house and began to just peel the palings off with another kid from the neighborhood. Just pull them, destructive, pull them down. It's always a boundary breaker, that our kid. Pull down the boundaries. Then the neighbor comes out and he drops the F-bomb at them and tells them what to do. I'm like, that's, that's genetic from his mother's side as well. <laughs> No, just, just kidding. Just, sorry, honey, love you. That's, that's, he learned that at Grace, let's be real. No, no, sorry. Child, I mean somewhere else. Sorry. No, 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 he, got, he just, he didn't learn it. He got it on the inside. That's the, that's the sin bent. We've all got it. Now, it looks different in everybody. And you can hide it. You can dress it up. But at the end of the day, We've all got this sin bent. We've all got this thing. This is what, I love what Paul says to Timothy. For the sins of some people, 1 Timothy 5, 24, they stand out. They're well known. Yet there are others whose sins are not as obvious. The truth of who they really are will eventually be seen and will bring them to judgment. All of us sin. All of us sin. All of us are, have this controlling force of sin on the inside of us until. We're going to get to the until. The third thing I want you to know is sin is simply falling short of God's standard. It's the Greek word. The Bible is written, the New Testament was in Greek. The Greek word for sin literally comes from a, a, an archery, from an archer. So an archer would fire at the bullseye, and when, the arch, when that arrow was flying in the air, if it fell short of the target, it would be called sin. The arrow would sin. It literally, that, that's the word it was used. It would literally fall short. 
So that's the word that the Bible uses for sin. It means that you and I, God set a standard for us, a moral code. He said, Jason referred to this, this reference of the Ten Commandments, of the things that we do that love and honor God and honor one another and love our neighbors and lay our lives down. And, and so God set the standards, but the Bible tells us that all of us have fallen short. Not one of us have not fallen short. And here's the, here's the thing. Uh, you, you don't get to determine what's sin or not. That's, that's the creator of the world does that. The creator of the world determines what's right and what's wrong, and he's recorded, recorded it in his word. He's done it, with, he's done it with this mindset of, your, I've made you, and I know what's best for you, and so if you follow these things, life will go well for you. It's not to control you. It's the manual of the creator saying, you will be at your highest and best if you live this way. But all of us fall short. Now, here's the problem with this. There is consequences of our sin. It means we, we, we are, first of all, sin causes us to be disconnected from God. We're unable to be spiritually alive in a relationship with Him. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The consequences of sin is spiritual death, ultimately physical death, and then if we don't accept what God's done through Christ, it's eternal death and separation. That's the consequences of death. So sin's not to be played around with. I don't know if you know a person or a friend or maybe in a room this size or watching online, there's, there's a good chance some, some people know someone who's become addicted to, to ice, someone who's become addicted to a heavy drug that starts out as a party, that starts out as a high, but then eventually it controls then eventually a person loses their sense of self-worth. Eventually a person loses their, their morals and their values. And you can look at photos of before and after and watch this destruction of this controlling, addictive, uh, horrible thing called drugs or MDMA or whatever you want to call it. Eventually people will do horrible things under its control. That picture of before and afterwards is like a picture of the soul of every human being separated from God. Starts out being fun, but eventually we shrivel up on the inside. We lose our joy. We, want, we can look great on the outside, but we wonder why on the inside we're dying, we're depressed, we're anxious, we're lonely. We don't live with a sense of purpose. That's the consequence of sin. Jesus, Jesus took it so seriously. He said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's that serious. Our kids downstairs uh, at our house have got pythons in our house at the moment. Do we have any python lovers? All three of you. Fantastic. Great to have you here. <laughs> I noticed last time we didn't have a petting zoo. We had a reptile zoo. We didn't get that back, did we? Little carpet pythons. I think the little bunny rabbits are a little more popular this time. And so kids have got pythons downstairs, and they look harmless, and they probably are harmless. But, you know, if they had king cobras... Or taipans. We're not going to pick it up and go, oh, what a sweet little, little snake. <laughs> we shouldn't. Okay, a little life lesson here. We're not going to play with it because of the damage. that it, We're not going to give it to our kids and say, play with these because it's poisonous and destructive. So when you play with sin, it's poisonous and destructive to your soul on this earth, but ultimately it separates us from God. Here's the good news. Are you ready, Are you ready to get to the good news? The good news, number four, is Jesus Christ has set us free 
from the power of sin and the consequence of sin through the cross. He's set us free from the power and the consequence. Australia's actually home to seven of 10 of the most deadly snakes on the planet. Come on, Aussie, 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 that's us. How many of you have moved from overseas to, to come to Australia? In spite of the snakes, God bless you, you're welcome. Seven of the top 10, all right, in Australia. Two of the top three deadliest. We've got a snake catcher in the room, Sam Sampson. He'll help you out if you've got one. Two of the top three deadliest are found in, the, in, the, on, in Australia. I was going to say the sunny coast, but no, just calm down. Not possibly, but I don't know. Uh, for two of these top three, if you get bitten by one of these snakes, the venom gets into your blood system and you will be dead within minutes, not hours, not days. This is not to put fear in your snakes. This is, we're, getting, we're getting somewhere, all right. But minutes, unless you get the anti-venom. The anti-venom will come into, if they'll, they'll inject it into your system and it will, uh, it will immediately offset the power of that, of that snake bite or that venom. Now, interestingly, one of the most common ways that you get the anti-venom is they take the venom of the snake they inject it into the blood of a sheep or preferably a lamb. The lamb's blood immediately produces antibodies to offset that venom. They, then what they do is they extract the blood of the lamb that has overcome the poison of the most poisonous snake on the planet. They extract it and then that is now the anti-venom. And if you are bitten by one of those snakes, that's what they'll inject into you. Now, this is such a great picture of what Jesus did on the cross. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. This is what happened at the cross. God took the sin of the whole world and he injected it into Jesus, the Lamb of God. We were singing, worthy is the Lamb. He took the sin of every sin I've ever done or will ever do, every sin you've ever done or will ever do, every sin of the whole human race was taken and it was placed on Jesus at the cross. It was injected into him. The devil's like the snake. The venom is the sin. Jesus' blood is now the anti-venom. It's got the antibodies. He's taken it and borne it so that anybody who looks at the Savior of the world and says, Jesus, Son of God, I put my faith in you, then that blood will cleanse you from sin. It's the, it's the greatest news on the planet. That's what his blood will do. We'll get a keyboardist up now, be great. Now, here's the thing. I can get the, you know, if you get bitten by a snake and I've got the anti-venom on the shelf, it's no good on the shelf. I can write a book about how awesome the anti-venom is. We can sing a song about how awesome the anti-venom is. Oh, the anti-venom, it's amazing. It'll save you. Come on, somebody. But if you don't take that anti-venom and inject it into your body, you will still die the death of the poison of that snake bite. And that's sin. You can sing about the blood of Jesus in church once a year at Easter. 
You can sing about the, the, about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You can know it's there, but unless you take it and put your faith in it and apply it to your life, that power of sin will still have control over your life and cause you to bend, and that sin of yours will still be unfulfilled in terms of the consequences. This is the greatest news on the whole of the planet, is that it's simply putting your faith in Jesus, saying, I'm, I'm, I'm owning my sin. I'm owning it. I'm asking for your forgiveness. I love, let me read one scripture, Colossians 2.14. This is at the cross. He canceled out every legal violation we had on our record. All of us have got a record before God we will all have to give an account for our sins. That's justice. We all want the, the, those who have done stuff wrong to pay account for it. That's justice. And so all of us have got a record. But he cancelled it out. And the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us, he erased it all, our sins, our stained soul. He deleted it all and they cannot be retrieved. This is what happened at the cross. Everything we once were in Adam, this is before Jesus, has been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently as a public display of cancellation. Here's the good news. Once you receive Jesus, you, you, you become conscious that this guilt that you didn't even know was there is lifted. People talk often about a feeling of, of shame or depression or this overwhelm, this thing on the inside. I don't even know why it's there. So often it's just because we, we haven't identified it, but it's, we're just not right with God. This is why so many people, when they surrender to God, will say the first thing that I experienced when I received the sacrifice of Jesus is peace. An overwhelming sense of peace came into my heart, indescribable almost. An overwhelming sense of love came into my heart. Romans 6.22, For now you are free from the power of sin. Become slaves of God. You're, you're, you're now connected to God. He's perfect. It's amazing. They tell the story of the colonel, KFC. Who, who, who's up for some KFC for lunch? You can smell it when you drive by. It's just it's attractive. It's like good coffee. The colonel, loaded, all this money, successful business, people at his beck and call, but he was immensely unhappy. And he couldn't stop swearing. He was a renowned swearer and he actually hated it. He felt he was losing respect. So he tried in every way he could to stop swearing. But this force on the inside of him couldn't, couldn't change. He couldn't change. He came to a church. He heard the message of the love of God the forgiveness available in Jesus. He surrendered his life to God. True story. And immediately, he lost the urge to swear. Now, now, is swearing the worst thing in the world? No. But it's just a picture of the things that we want to stop, that we can't stop in our own strength, gets broken when we surrender to Jesus. The power of sin is broken over us. And the only way that we get forgiven is repentance. 1 John 1, 8 and 9, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth's not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's simply taking ownership 
First step is to take my, my issues are my issues. My issues aren't my parents, the world's, they're my issues. I've got, I've got this bent on the inside of me that needs to be dealt with and I can't deal with it myself. And I've got stuff that causes me guilt and shame and I can't get it out of my system. It's only all the blood of Jesus. It washes white my soul. So repentance is just saying, God, I'm gonna change. I'm gonna give my life to you. I'm gonna invite you to come and cleanse me and forgive me and, be, and walk with me, come and live in me. And in a moment, just a simple moment, you don't have to do penance for the next 10 years. You don't have to do anything except believe. The, on the cross beside Jesus was two thieves. And they, they harassed him and they abused him. But one of them after a while could see something was special about him, something holy about him. And he turned to Jesus and, and, he, and he essentially repented on the cross. Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. This guy was on the cross because he was something wrong with him, something he'd done something evil. He deserved to be there. Today, you, you can be forgiven today in a moment. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I want us to close our eyes right now. Lord, I thank you for your presence here. We thank you for what we're celebrating, the blood of Jesus, the cross, the, the horrific torment of the cross was so that we could get free, that we could be forgiven. We thank you for what you did. And I'm asking today, Lord, for every person in this room, I'm asking that your Holy Spirit would knock on our hearts, that you would reveal that we're one step away from peace. We're one step away from the freedom of guilt. We're one step away from living empty and lonely. We're one prayer away right now. And so this is what we're going to do while your eyes are closed, heads are bowed. In a moment, I'm just going to ask a simple question. Would you like to receive the forgiveness that Jesus paid for at the cross? Would you like to get right with God? It's the step that allows God to come and live in your heart for you to begin a relationship with Him. You can't have a relationship with God on your terms. You have to be made holy or right. That's the only way God has a relationship with us, when we're made holy. You can't do it yourself. That's why Jesus died. So if you're here today and you've never had a relationship with God, He wants one with you. You're, you're not here by accident. He wants a relationship with you to pour His love into your life, to help you, to guide you. And in a moment, if you want to begin a relationship with God, and we do this in every service, in your seat, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand in, in a moment. And I'll just say, hey, I see your hand, and you can put it down. And then in a few moments, once, once different people have put your hand up, in a few moments, together, we're going to pray a prayer, asking for forgiveness, putting our faith in Christ and what He did at the cross, and inviting God into our life. We're going to do that all together. So right across the room, if you're saying, John, I don't have a relationship with God. You mightn't have grown up in church. You mightn't have ever experienced the sense of that God loves you or heard the truth about Jesus. But today is your day to begin a relationship with Him. Or maybe a second type of person, you're here, but you once walked with God. 
You once had a relationship with Him. You went to kids' church or Sunday school or, or youth group or, or some church or somewhere along the line. You, you had a relationship with God. You asked for forgiveness, but, but you've drifted away. You've put God on the shelf. And you know in your heart you're not right with Him today. You know you've, you're distant from Him today. You, maybe you didn't stop believing that God's real. But He's just not been the Lord of your life. And today you know you need to come back and make Him the Lord of your life. In a moment, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Or maybe you're just here today and you're not sure if when you die you're going to go to heaven. You hope you are. But you don't have a confidence or an assurance in your heart that you're going to be right with God, that you're going to go to heaven. You just, you're just kind of hoping. Maybe there's even a bit of fear about dying because you're just not sure. When you receive Christ into your heart, He brings with Him a peace and an assurance that you're going to go to heaven. There'll be a confidence about that. I want you to have that today. So if you're watching online or you're in the room right now and you're saying, John, either I want to begin a relationship with God. I want to pray that prayer. Or you want to come back to God because you've drifted away from Him. Or you want to be sure you're going to heaven. Right now, I want you to raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to get right with God. Thank you. I see your hand. That's awesome. Who else right now? Just right. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hand. That's awesome. Who else right now? Would you join these people? Just put your hand. Thanks. Over here on the side. I see your hand. Who else right now? Would you just, come on, lift your hand. You're, you're surrendering to God today. On the other side of this decision is a powerful shift in your life that doesn't come from willpower. It comes from God changing you today. The blood of Jesus cleansing you. Who else today is saying, I want to get right with God? Would you raise your hand as well? Thank you. That's awesome. Who else right now? Just put your hand up and join with these five who have already put their hand up. Online, this is your moment as well. You're going to get right with God right, right across this place. Right across this place. Now, I feel like there's some people here and there's a wrestle going on inside of your heart right now. Because you know you kind of know, and I'm talking to people who've once walked with God, who've once been in church. You know, on the other side of this decision, things are going to have to be different. Like, you're also going to have to make some changes. You're also going to have to start shifting your priorities. And so there's a wrestle on the inside of you. You know, you're in your heart of hearts, you know you need to respond. In your heart of hearts, you can feel God pulling you towards Himself. But you're also counting the cost. I want to say that's good. It's important to count the cost, to say, okay, I'm going all in. I'm going to follow God. But there has to be a moment. You're saying, uh, can I just do this later on? I'm telling you, so often, there's a moment that God has. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today, right now. If God's knocking on your heart right now, I want you to open the door right now. So if you haven't put your hand up yet, but you know you should, would you raise your hand as well and say, that's me. I want to get right with God today. I want to come back to Christ today. Awesome, thank you. That's awesome, thank you. Who else right now? Waiting for one more person. Christians are praying for you right now. One more person. Say yes to God. You're responding to Him. We're going to pray together in a moment. I don't want to miss this moment. Your heart's pounding. That's because God's knocking on your heart. Magnificent. All right, we're all going to pray together. Keep your eyes closed. Those of you who raised your hand, you can put your hand down. I want you to pray with all of us after me. Pray this prayer to God. Say, dear God in heaven, I thank you that you love me. 
that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for my sin in my place. I put my faith in Jesus today for the forgiveness of my sin. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I renounce the devil and all his works. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and the power of God. I thank you today that I'm forgiven. I'm cleansed. I'm born again. And I'm going to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Come on, put your hands together for every person who raised your hand. God bless you. I'm proud of you. God bless you. Magnificent. Such a good moment uh, for those who raised your hand. And I want to just invite you, just keep one of the greatest ways, this is the beginning of a relationship with God. The, the greatest way to keep building your relationship with God is to talk to Him, is to be in church with a community of people. We all want to grow in our relationship with God and help each other. So keep coming to church. Uh, that would be one of the, the great things you can do. We also, Jason referenced this course called Alpha. We run this course called Alpha every, uh, most terms or a couple of times a term. And it's just pretty much about a six-week course talking about Christianity, talking about Jesus. And I'd love to invite you. Our team will tell you a bit more about that, but really encourage you uh, to do that. One more time, put your hands together for everybody who's responded. We're going to share in communion today because that's one of the, this is one of the great days to share in communion. So on your seat is a little juice and wafer pack. Now also, should you be gluten-free and this wafer is not gluten-free, so should you be gluten-free and want one, just put your hand up and we've got a team of people who have got, who have got the, some little gluten-free ones. I can't, taste, I can't promise that they taste any better than these wafers. Probably taste and these wafers are not two words we use in the same sentence. However, as you pop the top, as you take the top off, just do that. If you've got a white shirt, just be careful with the, the red stuff. It can, it can easily explode, like for me, exactly. And then just hold it. Once you've got it open, just hold it. If you're like me, Fellas, just ask your wife with the longer nails to open it for you. That's no shame in that. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians to the church. He says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord Jesus Himself on the night when He was betrayed. This is the Thursday night before He was crucified on the Friday. They were having meal. We call it, they're having a meal. They call it the Last Supper with His disciples. The Lord Jesus took some bread, gave thanks to God for it, and He broke it into pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, He took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and His people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until He comes again. Today, as we drink the juice, it's representative of the blood of Jesus. That's His life blood poured out for us so that we could be forgiven for our sins. His life in exchange for our life. When we eat the wafer, it's the bread, it's the body of Christ. And that's representative of His body that was whipped and bruised and broken. 
And through that body, healing is provided. So in a moment, the team are going to sing a song over us while we drink the juice and we eat the wafer. And I want you just to, if you need healing in your body, healing was provided at the cross. And in communion, in your seat, during worship, the healing power of God can touch you right now. So God bless you. Thank you, team.